Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of this interview with one of my favorite mentors, Marge Barlow. And I'm not going to do any more intro than that. We're in the thick of the conversation right now, and we're going to transition to a new subject. I consider you historically important in this space of being a feminist leader because of your academic background. You, you know, you got into the schools pretty early relative to American history and, and so forth because of your incredible contribution to people's lives as a therapist and care provider, certainly because of your work with Ray at Interface, and I think also this meme, the kind of orientation of pocket grandmother and become your own pocket grandmother, and you're really trying to teach self-care as a form of identity. And to me, these are things that come from a feminine worldview. And then I'll also say um, our previous issue sort of arrived at becoming about the kinship worldview, which is a relational worldview. And ultimately, to me, you could say feminine wisdom, that we are here together in this moment. Let's talk kind of thing. Let's listen. And so I wanted to ask, how have these things changed? How has um, feminism, womanhood, grandmotherhood, so forth, how has that sort of changed the identity of that? And then also, how have these things changed in the ways that your peer group of feminists originally intended, how well are we doing and how correct was the vision maybe 60 years ago when the feminist movement began to sort of name itself, I think? Yeah. What comes to my mind is that in, as my therapy work and counseling expanded, I became aware that most of the people who initiated the meetings were female. It would be the mother bringing in a son or the mother bringing in the whole family. In fact, I was trained to treat families as systems. So for many years, I wouldn't see a family member without the whole family there. And the mother would be the one always organizing that. Rarely was the father. So my clientele was mostly female. At the same time, I had uh, uh, some friends outside of the therapy world, and we made a trip to San Antonio, four of us. And by the time we got back, we had planned our first female only weekend and eventually we called it the possible woman and began to do weekends on Padre Island. And the possible woman sort of in a nutshell is about exploring potential. Yes. And it was what are the possibilities for you in your life as a female? So we would have up to 60 people at those weekends and all female. Then one of these four women moved to Atlanta and she called me and she was kind of deeply depressed. And we talked a long time and I said, can you do something with the possible woman? And so she, her name was Linda Wind, and she started doing big seminars with women's uh, well-known women. We always had a feature speaker like Geraldine was her name Ferraro that ran for vice president way back. Yes. Uh, yeah, people like that. And uh, we had Ann Richards one time. Uh, and we took a group 
we began to do cruises. <laughs> uh, we would book a uh, hundred women on a cruise ship that had 700 people on it. And they would know all about the possible woman by the time the cruise was over. And we would go to Cancun or the some of the islands, uh, Jamaica and so on. And actually I met, um, uh, who was the lawyer? I can't say her name, but uh, the one that did Roe versus Wade. Um, I don't know that name. Yeah, anyway, yeah. she and I roomed together and she was our featured oh. speaker in Jamaica. And uh, so we weren't political. We just were encouraging. We had a lot of coaches. That's when coaching began to kind of blossom. And um, so people would come and we would have a thousand women at a one day event with a featured speaker um, like Ann Richards. And uh, so the possible woman became an institution we have i think there's still scholarships in uh, atlanta and i was going there for interface as you've mentioned ray anderson visionary with his he was on bill clinton's environmental sustainability council but he had the dream of climbing mount sustainability for the world they nearly got there Yes. And so the environmental picture on one side and women's development on the other. Uh, and we would always honor a man at uh, our one day event in Atlanta with the thousand women there. And Ray Anderson was one that we honored one time. And he spoke about his passion and his dream, his his mission. So it was, again, asking those two questions. Who are you and what could you be? And uh, yeah. uh, and I think it's a part of the shift, broadly speaking, historically, from the Piscean Age, which is the age of the great religions, to the Aquarian Age, which is more egalitarian and more inclusive and uh, bringing women to full power yeah that's so. a that's a funny kind of uh thing to mention that's really important uh, for me the song this is the dawning of the age of aquarius is a parody um, because <laughs> I, I was a child you know when that was already uh, over sure. and that, so then it was sort of saturday night live type material the costuming and that kind of stuff yeah and i've never quite understood what the age of aquarius why they were so excited about it you know, that's where the parody comes from. Is they're just giddy as can be when they're singing that song. It's true. Um, but yeah, so it, can you describe again that shift? Well, the age of the great religions is based in uh, he, God, uh, he, religion. It's pretty masculine dominant. And the goddess religions, which were part of the previous age, 20, uh, you know, give or take 2,500 years, um, so that uh, the goddess religions were stamped out and women were burned as witches and blah, 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 blah. That's our history. I thought it was interesting. There is a, a book called 
the devil in the shape of a woman. And it's the story of the Salem witch trials, which happened in Puritan America. Um, the research shows that most of the women convicted as witches were in line to inherit property and had no brothers or sons. Wow. So uh, when James, you know, when James died, I had to go to the county judge and get permission to sell my car or to sell any property. They it was very paternalistic and it was like I had to prove that I had done right by his money and his children. It's um, still very difficult, I think, in, in certain cases. It's only very recently started to shift and then of course leave the US or leave the so called Western developed world and Yeah, we still different. have different yeah, set of rights for people for sure yeah what's interesting to me though about that is um i'm going to project a little bit here but like uh, these possible women gatherings with a thousand women there's some kind of momentum that then started to build that's different you know and it and in a way maybe even has um sustained itself in and ways yeah. because it is based on the true identity that's like what who are you and what's your potential as opposed to kind of marketing language and uh, momentary ecstasy. You're, you're trying to build, uh, transform into a future that is about true kinship, true identity. And once we can begin to do that, it seems like it starts to propel itself forward, just like nature, which is why this is such an important theme to me. Yes. Is we see that everywhere in the natural world. As soon as there's a few kind of principles in place for nurturing, then life will take off. Yes. And yeah. right. So please continue. Yeah. Well, what came to my mind as we were bringing those ideas forward is the um, expansion of love from erotic love where male, female are attracted and uh, the essence of life is guaranteed through that uh, attraction. There's a next level called agape love which is true friendship. And that is, I see that now more and more with um, a more of a leveling. We have now females in every profession. Thank God. Yeah, not just um, limited. So from agape friendship type love, you build then to a family kind of love. And so if you think of all, we're now 8 billion of us. If you think of that as a species, a plant, a planetary uh, presence called human, homo sapiens sapien, um, perhaps we could have philea which Philadelphia is named for, brotherly love, family love, uh, almost like avatars. <laughs> well, may I ask you a question about Maslow? Yeah. This idea of the, the five levels or whatever, it's like th those are such masculine versions of what's needed, aren't they? That, you know, it totally eschews the idea of like the, the, the soundbite of what the kinship worldview is about trying to achieve is a society that you already named. It's where every individual is important and nurtured, right? Society is nurturing, and I, you're an important individual in that nurturing community. 
that's kinship. And uh, and Maslow is more of an industrial male about this thing. Like, well, you got to have this, 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 and this to achieve that, you know. And there is some idea of emotional, relational health in there. But uh, from the standpoint of your identity, your you know, um, this feminism movement really began to claim identity and the integrity of it as the direction. You gave me a new idea there. I thank you for that. I will go back to Maslow and think. Do you know his latest writing, I mean, his last writings, seemed to indicate there was something beyond self-actualization? And that's the other thing I wanted to throw in. Is like, because of that kind of culture, it's like agape could just be the beginning of an area that we haven't really explored that I think maybe women do dwell in more, and you in particular. Well, the... Uh, the final rung of this from Eros to uh, that next one in the, the Philea uh, is Caritas. And that is Christ love, sacrificial love, where you give your life for the good of others, cheerfully, happily. Not It's not so much sacrificially as it is a calling or, or a a joy, even. I've studied happiness a lot. And um, I I have a friend who is a joyologist. And I love that as a new profession. <laughs> and a lot of her job is about, or maybe all of her job, is about coordinating nonprofits to help people and nature. Giving away. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, her it's joy... Healthy is sharing and caring and, and supporting and sharing the wealth from that company. I have noticed in my limited experience that, you know, helping others, caring for others, Caritas, you know, making the effort to help someone else when you could be sitting in front of Netflix or whatever, it feels way better than sitting in front of Netflix, you know, to get out there and do things that you care about for the, those who need. It's activating the frontal lobes. Uh, if you start with the reptilian complex where you just, you know, you, want to eat and sleep and, uh, like crocodiles on the riverbank. Um, and you come up through mammalian uh, warm-bloodedness and the logical brain that we can educate with its... We used to do right brain, left brain, remember that? But the frontal lobes are where altruism are. So it's the part of the brain that is newest and uh, the big forehead is uh, a relatively <laughs> yeah. big forehead. And a big nose is a sign of intelligence too, right? <laughs> of course, feet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually transitions uh, nicely uh -huh. in a show sort of way to uh, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, the next topic of uh, two more. Uh, right. so, so this is biosphere care. And uh, I was going to ask you to, describe your relationship with other life um, and your sort of spiritual religious perspective on this idea of how to be in relationship with the microbes, the plants, the insects, the animals, and each other. How do you kind of relate to this living all creation? I am not as adept as you are with that. And, um, being a part of Ray Anderson's network for so long and learning biomimicry 
it's not my forte, but I do have a sense of gratitude and awe about how it all works. It's the most fascinating thing in the world to think of life as it exists here on this little blue, tiny planet. And um, my life is the human being and the lives that they create. And that's my joy and my pleasure and my calling, uh, my uh, intention. But I am so in awe of your work and of the people who are conserving water, especially here in Central Texas, um, the people who are learning more and more and more about how to be good stewards of our physical environment. I am still just in awe of indoor plumbing. <laughs> right. And so I have an appreciation of electric lights. And two years since COVID with Zoom, I've met with people all over the world this way. So that's, to me, the biggest change that's on the horizon is the fact that we are hooked up now and we can communicate. And therefore, we can't keep pockets of secrecy. And I think, I don't know how you measure this, but I think more and more are enlightened as to our environmental crisis, emergency. Uh, I think there's more awareness. We're certainly living, um, I didn't know that about the frontal lobe, but we're certainly living in that space of our anatomy right now. We're really eye-focused on screens all the time. Everything is intellectual for kids, I think. You know, they don't they don't get to run and play. They get to play games and, and think about things. Yes. Conceptual games. They have animated people on the screen and they can control them. And Which helps with surfing the web and knowing how to read about environmental issues and you know so everything has slippery slopes to it as part of the to me the transformation that needs to take place is we've made such a black and white social conversation about reality yes and i see the possible woman as being one of those really important transformational pieces of how we're now going yeah except that i'm not that person you know that simple whatever person that society wanted me to be i was more more to me than that. I, I don't just need to run a preschool, you know, I can uh, write books. You've written several books, you know, I can do a lot of things. We really have enormous positive possibility. And, and um, this final question is about religious institutions and how they should transform, in your opinion, how you see that. I really, I think it's obvious, but I really respect your worldview, your vast intelligence and your life experience and the way you've kind of evolved through your life. I just think it's an incredibly beautiful and honorable path. So I think also that the context for this question is, to me, cultural diaspora is good. We should celebrate our differences. Diversity is reality. We know this from the science on how life emerged in the universe so far. We know that it began with microbes, and here we are today with human beings and redwood trees and 
so we depend on diversity. And I think, again, the possible woman sort of represents, and, and Paul's introducing you to positive psychology, represents this idea of trying to integrate identity and diversity and care and positive potential into institutional identity. So that's how I see that. That's what I want to see there. And I'm just curious if you can comment on religion, however you see that now, or religious institutions and how we should transform to achieve a better future. Yes. Wow. Those are deep questions, aren't they? What came to my mind is I kind of have an inner path that I follow. And if I were to give it substance, it would be more like I'm, I prefer to be curious rather than certain. And I think that has, um, has led me to a lot of diversity. It's like, there's not just one way, as many of the fundamentalist sermons that I heard suggested. I will interrupt and say I feel like that is maybe even a male problem to some degree that we want to find one way. We want a winning team or whatever it is, and and uh, it's a, it's the wrong orientation. Yeah. It's ever the hunter. It's the hunters and the gatherers so that the male does tend in our species to focus. It makes a good TV watcher. <laughs> the female is more the gatherer. She's the, she's born to shop. <laughs> so that's the problem right there. <laughs> so can the shoppers and the focusers get together in some way to declare um, the one, you know, universe means one song. Some kind of common goal. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Or program uh, or something here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, the common goal is love and climbing that ladder of erotic love to Philea love to agape love to uh, sacrificial Christ love is um, is pretty good religion in a way. Uh, it's easy to love them when they're acting the way you want them to. No stretch there, but love that stretches and a mind that is eternally curious. That's sort of how I see our evolutionary drift. And if you go back to the superstitious eras, we will look back on this perhaps in the future as another one of those superstitious eras. Because we like to have answers. We like to think we know. There's something about certainty uh -huh. that is physiologically yeah. ecstatic or okay. secure or something, securing, yeah. something calming about that or energizing or both. Right. And same with anger, same with eros, you know, these different states. Oh. 
But curiosity, the kind of want to stick your finger in the light socket uh, as a way of, of expansion, I don't think we do expand unless we're curious. Because if we're absolutely certain that we know the way and we've got it, um, that's kind of the end of life in a way, because there's no more search, there's no more quest. And um, using the hero's journey, as we did so often in uh, Gene's work, like if we were studying Odysseus, we simply did become Odysseus and do the voyages. Which is kind of how Torah classes are practiced. They put themselves in the time because it's their people. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, at this age, I, I honestly don't think I know very much. I, I, uh, <laughs> I've got this library of books that I keep going back to and, and reading somebody else's wisdom and somebody else's ideas and uh, finding that they make sense. But the fundamentalist uh, narrowness that I grew up in was uh, based mostly in fear. And I don't, I do think that we do better if we move toward the positive emotions. And um, consequently, studying happiness has helped me recognize the value of our choice making. So every day I get up and say, what is today? And I have a sense of gratitude and awe. And every person that comes into my life, I have a sense of awe. That makes it new and real and uh, exciting and nothing ever dull or boring. So perhaps curiosity and awe are valuable attributes. At institutional sort of identity scale. At institutional identity scale, beautifully said, yeah. May I say back to you a couple of other things I jotted down? Um, sure. So I was... Um, trying to think in those terms. What would be the institutional directive in a way or the identity? And so it's for religion, perhaps, seeking love, right? That seems to be in the texts. Does seem to be. The, the, <laughs> Pretty the much. Ultimate <laughs> yeah. It's the ultimate sacrifice is that you love unconditionally. Yes. And so then yeah. I see you exemplifying this in well, some of those terms you just described. So, you know, awe. Yeah, uh, gratitude, uh, yeah. a life of ministry in a bunch of different ways. That is both seeking and creating love, healing to allow love to prosper, and the curiosity about positive potential that you probably bring into every conversation you have. Well, yeah, I can't help it. It's it's sort of how how life is for me. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna stop there. I think those are pretty great qualities for institutions to try and take on. As values. And, uh, you know, we have to move past this sort of uh, kind of survivor profit criteria of what's best about the developed world and get into more of these criteria, I think. Yeah, right. 
taking care of each other, being curious about positive potential, being in awe of what's actually happening right now. <laughs> Even just yeah. breathing is plenty. Yes. Yeah. Et cetera. The gratitude for that. And, you know, you can take that into your own religious, spiritual identity as you wish and as you evolve throughout your life. But it puts us on a, mm-hmm. a better path. An expanding path, yes. Expanding path. We're not done yet. Right. We're still evolving. So I I use the eight directions that in the southwest I want to show up every moment to be real. I want to go to the northeast and uh, listen up because I don't know anything. I need to learn and then open up to my creativity and then grow up. We're not done yet. We're still evolving and moving more into the frontal lobes and into that altruistic position and then lighten up. Life is kind of a comedy. It's not a tragedy. And I say wiser. The tragedies will be there, but yes. (laughs) But um, to learn, to to keep learning, and then learning to love, and then offer up in service. That's eight directions that I like in my lifelong compass of joy, I call it, that um, you have the joy of being present and listening and curiously seeking something new. So... That's that's what I think it's about. <laughs> that's how we'll end this podcast, this conversation. Thank you very much. You and, too. Uh, for anyone listening, margebarlow.com is one place to find Marge's materials. That'll, of course, be in the podcast notes. Marge, is there any other place you want to? Uh, yeah. If, uh, uh, contacting me, you can go to pocketgrandmother.com. We didn't. We didn't explore that little piece, but uh, it, it anyway, everybody needs a grandmother in their pocket. It's the feminine face of God, this great Sophia. Yes. Which, yeah. Yes, that, that, um, that whole idea of self-acceptance. Yes. Is another nutshell of where that comes from. This non-judgmental presence of your bubby. Yeah. You be your own bubby. And to take ownership of your projections, that's uh, the last little piece I'll give you. I have some scripture on that. Whatsoever thing thy neighbor doeth that pulleth thy chain, puncheth thy button, ringeth thy bell, (laughs) that thing hath more to do with thee than with thy neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Thank you, Marge. Thank you. Been a joy.